I want to take a look at a passage that we studied actually a couple of months ago in Romans 12. Uh, So if you could start turning there, Romans 12, verses 17 through 21. Now, Josh went verse by verse through the book of Romans and just completed that last Sunday, and he did a fantastic job. Uh, We were really blessed by that, and we'll remember a lot of our study as we look back at Romans 12. And this is meant to dive a little bit deeper into a part that admittedly he uh, couldn't dive as deeply into as he wanted to. So we're going to get the opportunity to do that today. You'll remember uh, from the many sermons in Romans that you've listened to that this is a letter not just to all the Romans, but specifically to a church, a church in Rome, in the epicenter of the Roman Empire, written by Paul, and it's really Paul's articulation of the gospel. You hear the gospel a lot. This is the gospel, the book of Romans. It's the good news. It starts with the bad news in chapters one, and th- one through three that every human being is condemned to hell. We spent weeks understanding our situation as condemned. Then the good news came starting in chapter four, which is that God made a way for sinners not to go to hell, to be made righteous, and that that is only through his son, Jesus. And that kind of wrapped up that message and what happens when you believe in Jesus uh, in about chapter 11. And so for those who are made right, who those, those who understand the bad news and receive the good news, now you have chapters 12 and moving forward, which says, what do you do next? You just got saved. You just learned the bad news and the good news and said, yes, Lord, I believe. And so Romans 12 begins a description of what your life ought to look like in Christ. In fact, the subheading in many of your Bibles might say dedicated service or marks of a true Christian. This is what this section of Paul's letter is. It's sharing wisdom through the Holy Spirit about what does salvation look like? What does it mean that I'm saved? And it's a description of the Christian life. And in that context, we find verse 17. Let's read it together. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, every word in your book, in this Bible that we have, is inspired by you for us to understand and apply. There is no one in this room, we acknowledge, that is beyond your word, whose truths it does not mean uh, to apply, who it is irrelevant to. It is relevant to us all. We thank you that you, uh, because you are big, gave us something that could be a way for us to live, 
And we pray as we study that this morning, you would prick our hearts to what it means to truly be a Christian. Amen. We live in a get-even society. We like to get even. There's a slogan, don't get mad, get even. People use it a lot. If you don't do something I like, you do something I don't like, I'll take you to court and sue you. You said that to me, now I'm going to unfollow you on social media. Or even worse, I'm going to start responding to your social media with comments and engage in a discord with you that you probably don't like. At school, if you give me a, a br- bad grade, I'll tell my parents and they'll get you fired. Many entertainment heroes are characterized by their ability to take vengeance, to get even. Just think of, of any of the Marvel characters. Hulk literally gets mad and takes vengeance. That, that is his whole character. There are whole characters in almost any entertainment piece that have something they need to avenge for. Uh, Many of you know that for uh, about a decade, I I worked for the Walt Disney Company. I sat in meetings where we were trying to figure out how a plot should go for a movie. And so many times someone would say, but what are they trying to avenge? They have to be avenging something. That character has to be avenging something, or else it's not even worth the movie. We have this desire for vengeance, to hear stories of vengeance. And it's not just entertainment. It's, there's actually it's a global phenomenon. This isn't just something we create. Many have speculated that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is driven by Putin's personal vengeance against the West and its allies. He's so angry about the fall of the Soviet Union. He has to avenge, and he's literally sending troops to kill people. Doesn't just happen in a Marvel movie. It happens in real life. And it's happened all throughout history, too. 2,000 years ago, this is a gruesome story. John the Baptist had an interaction with a man named Philip. Philip was the brother of Herod the Great. He married his brother's daughter, Herod's daughter, his niece, Herodias. Yuck. And John the Baptist had that and more to say to him about that decision. He actually just said very respectfully that that was unlawful. So the entire family was offended by John the Baptist because he brought that truth to light. And they were so offended, they they planned a scheme of vengeance. Ultimately, John the Baptist was not only beheaded, but his head was famously delivered to the family on a serving platter during a banquet with many guests. That's what vengeance does. And that's a real story. Here's another real story. Because vengeance doesn't just come from the bad guys. There was a concentration camp in World War II called Dachau. It's in Poland. American forces, after World War II was over, uh, went into Dachau to retrieve it from the Nazis. 
and they discovered what has come to be called the death train. It is 39 rail cars filled with hundreds of corpses, likely all Jewish people who were murdered. U.S. troops were so enraged by this that they lined up the remaining Nazi officials, anyone they could find, and machine gunned them down. Just took a machine gun against a wall against all these Nazi officers. It's considered a war crime for obvious reasons. The war was over. The Nazis had said, okay, we're done. They, had, they weren't fighting anymore. And so this is considered a war crime. It was murder. But it was covered up by the military uh, because they felt like there was some justification in it. And it was only recently that the records were declassified and uh, people started reading what had happened. Many to this day believe the soldiers were justified by what they did, and perhaps in listening to the story, you do too. We all, humans, have a tendency to want to exercise our own justice. I'm as guilty of this as any of you, perhaps even more. I was told when I was a young child that I had a very strong sense of justice. I always wanted to avenge a wrong. It's easy to fall into. We like to get payback. There's something sweet about payback. And, and, and it's even heroic if we look at the entertainment industry as we discussed. But clearly from our passage in Romans 12, the Bible offers a different perspective on this, a different perspective on vengeance. And so we're going to answer two main questions today about vengeance. First, what does Scripture say about vengeance? And second, what should a Christian do about it? So what does Scripture say, and what should a Christian do about it? First, what is vengeance? Well, let's start with verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Repay. Vengeance is very specifically payback. Simple. Vengeance is payback. It's getting payback. It's inflicting pain or some sort of punishment on someone because they did something to you that you didn't like. And it's any type of payback. It doesn't mean machine gunning down a bunch of Nazis. It's Unliking social media posts. I knew someone that actually got mad at someone, so they went back through all the posts that that person had posted and unliked them for like months. But that takes so much time, first of all. And, and that, like, it's as simple as that. They just didn't want that person to have the privilege of their like. Like, what? what? It's silly, but it's vengeance. That actually is vengeance. Vengeance covers a whole gambit of things. It goes from gunning down military officers to unliking social media posts and everything in between. Rolling your eyes at your parents when you turn around after they tell you to do something. It can be silly, it can be serious, but it's vengeance. Perhaps you don't consider yourself a vengeful person, but if you're really honest, you know, there are times you wish and maybe even scheme that you, something bad happens to someone who mistreats you. Maybe you don't try to do it. You just are like, I hope something heavy falls on you. 
after you said that to me. Or what about you have this interaction with someone and you replay in your mind what you wish you could have said to them in that moment. Ah, if only I had thought of those words, that would have really stuck it to them. Everyone, whether you consider yourself a vengeful person or not, has these temptations. And here's the thing. Our flesh is consistently tempted toward vengeance. Every single one of us, whether we are saved or whether we are not, whether we are young or old, this is a condition of the flesh. And what is it that triggers our flesh to avenge? Why do we want it? Why does it feel so good to get this idea of vengeance? The answer is when we feel wronged, we want someone else to feel the same pain we do. That's why. It's payback. It's putting equal equality into the situation. It's changing the nature of that relationship. So if you hurt, I hurt too. I hurt, you hurt. That's what vengeance says. And it's rooted in something very dangerous. It's, it's rooted in anger. So if we look at, at verse 18, we see that it says, never avenge yourselves. Never avenge yourselves. Or another, another translation may say, never take your own revenge. So point two is, uh, vengeance is angry. It's an angry thing. If somebody tells you, I'm going to take my revenge, are they usually a happy person? Are they smiling, very excited about it, life is great, they're going to go to the beach and take some vengeance? Probably not. They're usually angry, perhaps hostile. If you try to talk them out out of it, they'll get even more angry and hostile. Vengeance is not a happy thing. And even if those emotions aren't clear in the moment, what the root cause is, it's motivated by anger. How do we know? Well, the very next phrase says, leave it to the wrath or anger of God. So we know that there's something attached to vengeance that is angry. But here's, here's the difference between God and you and me. God's anger is always righteous. Our anger rarely is. So the caution here is vengeance, when in the hands of a sinner, a sinner saved by grace or a sinner not yet saved by grace, vengeance in any human hands is probably going to be sinfully angry. And that's a problem. So not only are we looking at something that's payback, it's an angry payback. And so we need to be careful about how anger creeps in because that's where it leads, can lead to thoughts of vengeance. And so Paul says, leave it to God. He's the righteous one. Don't let that creep in. And then he goes on in verse 19 to say, to quote, actually, from the Old Testament and say, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance belongs to God. And we've just spent some time painting a picture that makes vengeance look pretty bad. It's angry. It's this angry payback thing that Christians are to avoid. So it could be confusing at first to read that that that, that same vengeance, or in some way some sort of vengeance, actually belongs 
To God, it's something that he does. Well, let's explore that a bit. And I believe that in exploring these famous words, vengeance is mine, we're not only going to learn about his character, but also come to recognize why something like vengeance is for him, not us. So as we study scripture, it's, it's important to pay attention to everything. You see the quotations in chapter, in verse 19. You see those quotations. Quotations signal something. They typically signal, if it's in the New Testament, that it's hearkening back to something the Old Testament writers wrote. And that's indeed what is going on here. And perhaps even in your Bible, you'll notice there's font change. That's also a signal for that, just for future reference in your Bible study. So we actually can find the phrase, vengeance is mine, in a number of Bible verses. Actually, it's quoted quite a bit through scripture, but let's go to the place where it first appears in Deuteronomy 32. So Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Old Testament. And uh, does anyone know who wrote Deuteronomy? The Holy Spirit, good answer, through his servant, Moses. And it's part of the Pentateuch, the first uh, five books of the Bible. And uh, it gives a lot of laws. It gives a lot of um, ways of living. So similar to what we're learning in Romans 12, this would be a place that the Jews would go to see kind of their way of life and how to live as a godly Jew in that day. Uh, This section actually is part of a song or a poem that Moses recited out loud to the people of Israel when they were all assembled. So all of Deuteronomy 32 is they're wandering in the wilderness. They've been told they can't enter, enter the promised land. So Moses is saying, here's the deal. This isn't the first time that you're going to disobey. Israel's going to disobey over and over and over again. And of course, we know that after Moses died and then there was just a, just a plethora of ways that that Israel failed. And so in verse 35, he comes to say, here's what's going to happen because there are going to be a lot of failures and God is going to need to judge. And so verse 35 of Deuteronomy 32 says, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. Rough news. Then goes on to 36, a little bit better news. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is nothing remaining, bond or free. Like much of the Old Testament, God was using his prophet, in this case Moses, to warn Israel that he's going to ultimately judge them. All people, in fact. And when he judges... He's going to take vengeance on those who do evil. He says their calamity is at hand, right, in 35. But he will also have compassion on those who are faithful. He will vindicate his people, it says in verse 36, and have compassion on those who serve him. He's starting very early on to differentiate between the way he responds to a believer and the way he responds to an unbeliever. You know which one you are. This is true, was true, will be true forever and ever. He will always separate believers from unbelievers. And that is where vengeance comes in. So God's vengeance 
is toward those who do not love and serve him. It's something that the Lord has to do because judgment is what he does. And that will happen over and over and over again, ultimately until Jesus comes again. Now, we're going to go really quick because in Deuteronomy 32, it starts uh, basically a record of God's vengeance throughout the Old Testament. So Joshua, and these will be on the, you don't have to flip there, these will be up for you. Joshua 22, 23, may the Lord, take, Lord himself take vengeance. And that was if offerings were made in the wrong manner. 1 Samuel 20, 16, and Jonathan made a covenant, covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. Psalm 94, 1, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Psalm 149, 7, let the praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the people. Isaiah 38, 34, 8, for the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Jeremiah 11:20 But O Lord of hosts who judges right, rightly who tests the heart and the mind let me see your vengeance upon them for you, to you I have committed my cause Jeremiah 15:15 15, 15, O Lord you know remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors Jeremiah 51.11, be not cut off in her punishment, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance, the repayment he is rendering her. Ezekiel 25.17, I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. Then they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon them. Micah 5.15, And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Nahum 1, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. You're like, okay, Matt, I get it. Vengeance is a thing. But do you? Do you really get it? It's not just a word. Every time that word is mentioned in the Old Testament, dozens or hundreds of people were condemned to hell forever, over and over again. Do you catch that? And here's the other thing that you should catch. In 929 chapters or in the Old Testament, not once in those texts, did righteous vengeance come from a human being? It always, 100% of the time, comes from God. So when you unlike a social media post because you want to get back at someone, you are not aligned with God's will. And even if the soldiers were justified in killing those Nazis as a war crime, It was not their vengeance to take. Never. The Bible will never allow for that. Sure, in in, in war, there are those, those moments, but they knew it was wrong. They were not given the authority by their commanding officers to do that. They were wrong. Vengeance is always wrong, no matter how you justify it. It only belongs to God. 
only. It's his. It's part of his character. It's part of who he is and what he does. It's his over and over and over again. But the vengeance in the Old Testament is just a hint of what's to come. So that's talking a lot about his vengeance toward the enemies of Israel, even the enemies within Israel. Now I'd like you to turn to 2 Thessalonians. So you should, I don't know if you're in Deuteronomy or or Romans, but 2 Thessalonians is, is after Romans in the New Testament. And we're gonna look at the beginning of 2 Thessalonians because this is the clearest, the clearest description of God's vengeance. We're going to look starting in verse 5, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, picture this as the end scene of a Marvel movie. The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Please do not sit there and think this is fiction. Please do not read this and say, well, everything's okay with me now. I'm fine. Every Sunday I listen to the warning from the guy standing at a pulpit that Something bad's going to happen if I don't believe in Jesus. I can tell you, we read 15 accounts of God's vengeance that were all sure. They were written, and then they were accomplished. Every single one of those, and dozens more. This hasn't happened yet. He's being patient with you. Do not test his patience. That is dangerous. I do not want you to be a victim of the flaming fire. Neither do any of the leaders, neither do any of your brothers or sisters in this room. We want you to look at that and go, that's my God. That's my God doing what he does, what's reserved for him. He is avenging those who are not his, and he's taking those who belong to him. That's reserved. That's why it's reserved for God, because every, anything else is so pithy. If we try to do vengeance, we can't do it like that. It's like the difference between Marvel and DC. They just can't do it the same way Marvel does. But it's even it's a bigger difference. It's a huge difference. So why are we why are we getting into all of this detail about God's vengeance? Why have we why have we spent this much time exploring what Scripture says? Because when you understand God's vengeance, it makes clear that you have 
no business executing any sort of vengeance on your own. When God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, he also says, vengeance is not yours. Do not repay. You might think about uh, vengeance like this. Every country has an arsenal of weapons when they go to war. There are guns and missiles and armored tanks and etc. And there's, in some countries, a nuclear bomb. Ours has one. And the nuclear bomb is operated only by the commander-in-chief. He has the access. He has the codes. He carries, someone next to him carries the briefcase thingy. Even in the most intense of battles, a regular soldier does not have access or authority to use a nuclear bomb. It is not his to use. Vengeance is God's nuclear bomb. It is the nuclear option. It is his judgment. It is not for you. He's given you other opportunities. He's given you other resources. Romans 13, in fact, talks about that. The next chapter talks about the things that he's given you in your arsenal. If something happens, there are laws, there are governments, there are things that got the Lord and his provision has given to us so that you don't have to just sit there and deal with it, but there, there are options, but it's not for you. Those options aren't for you. You don't, you don't arrest someone, right? You inform the authorities. They determine if, it, if an arrest is appropriate. So no matter how great the offense or how small or how easy it seems to, that you could do something to avenge, you don't. We don't. That's not the mark of a Christian. So you ask, how should I handle these situations where somebody is, has done something to me that really hurts or offends me? I know every one of you has been hurt or offended by something, or you're mad about something that somebody has done that really seems inappropriate, or there's a situation that just seems maybe easy for you to take care of yourself. And the answer is no. Uh, Leviticus 19, 17 through 18 says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. But, and it's always helpful when it's like, okay, don't do this, but what should I do? You shall reason frank, frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. So it's sinful, right, to get that vengeance, to hate, but you can, you can be reasonable, Verse 18 says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In this passage, we see that a decision to avenge is in complete contrast to love. And we are called to love, to love believers and unbelievers alike. Christians are called to love even when mistreated even when feelings are hurt, even when it seems like somebody's getting away with it. I know. It seems like they're getting away with it. It seems like the world is getting away with it. But we are called to love and to trust that there will be a point of vengeance. So let's go back to our text in, in Romans 12 as we just wrap up with the what should I do? So what should I do? What is, what, what, well, it's so helpful that 
Paul actually laces in some what should I do into this, this chapter in verse 18. If possible, so far as Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. So one thing that you should do as a Christian is pursue peace. And I would even add pursue peace at all costs. Even if, it, if you're embarrassed, even if it means that you have to humble yourself, even if it means you have to apologize because you went down the wrong road, pursue peace at all costs. Romans isn't the only place Christians are called to, to, on, to, uh, for peace. Almost every one of uh, Paul's epistles talks about pursuing peace as a believer. Um, even Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, said in Matthew 5, uh, 9 through 12, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are per- persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for they for so they persecuted the prophets. You aren't the only ones that got hurt. People have been hurt for the sake, for the cause of, of Christ and of God for, for centuries. Are you, let me just ask, take a look in your heart. Are you a person who pursues peace or promotes peace within your friend group, within your household? Or is your life marked by strife? Is there always some sort of drama going on? Is there always some sort of, I've got to go, and I'm well, let me text them, and there's, a, there's someone's angry at someone, and I'm getting involved? I feel like that's always going on. Who said what to she said what? Who? I feel like that, I over, by the way, my ears work really well in this room, and there's so much of that. Are you the one that's stirring that up? I'll just ask. Or are you pursuing peace? Do you strive to live peaceably with all? That's the, that's the Christian life. Christian life is not gossip slander and trying to correct, oh, there was a misunderstanding. Misunderstandings happen because somebody didn't do the right thing. Just do the right thing. You will pursue peace. So pursuing peace, let's look at one, uh, uh, two more that... that are really helpful in this passage. So if you look, jump down to Romans 12, 20 and 21. To the contrary, so this is contrary to vengeance. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Forgive completely. Pursue peace and forgive completely. Most of the time, when you do not forgive completely, you will seek vengeance. It's almost automatic. You will want to avenge the wrong because you have not completely forgiven. Someone who has completely forgiven, their lives look way different. They're not thinking about what the wrong was anymore. They have, they have, and it's not just, 
You know how some people say, oh, I forgive, but I don't forget? No, that's impossible. How could you forgive and then just keep thinking about it over and over again? What's that going to make you do? It's going to make you want to avenge the wrong. It's just that, That's just our tendency. So you put that, when you forgive, you say, as far as the east is for the west, from the west, that's God's model if we're going to forgive the way that Christ forgave. So forgive completely. Remember that vengeance comes from incomplete forgiveness. It says, I'll forgive you, but I'll also get even. Don't do that. Don't say forgive and then scheme. Don't say you forgive and then get bitter. You let all bitterness and wrath be put away from you. That's in the book of Ephesians. You say you're forgiven, then you show it by treating your enemy as a friend. That's in the book of Colossians. Maybe there's someone in your life you have not completely forgiven. You know who they are because you, you wish the worst for them right now. Who is that person? Are they in this room? Do you have business to do with them? I would encourage you to do that right away. You need to forgive completely. Don't delay. Forgive just as the Lord has forgiven you, Christian. Final point, and we'll be done. Verse 19, a Christian should respond to this passage by loving their Lord. And in fact, trusting the Lord. Paul writes in verse 19, never, and an emphasis on never, avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. So when the Lord says, vengeance is mine, let it be his. Because we know he's more powerful than you or me. He's more trustworthy for sure. And he'll keep that promise. Taking matters into your own hands is a lesser choice. And by the way, the Lord exercises his vengeance regularly. We talked about Romans 13. He is constantly exercising his vengeance through governments, through law enforcement. And I know that sometimes, ah, but our government's messed up. It's still what he has ordained. And he's doing what he is in his timing. Why is God taking so long? Why did he take 50 years to avenge millions of baby deaths? Why? I can't tell you. I'm sad about it. But I trust my God. And it took 50 years, and we prayed for 50 years. You heard Austin talk about that if you were in first sermon. And we are so grateful to see a level of vengeance. And there will be more, by the way, for that atrocity. We can be assured of that. But don't think that God's not acting. Trust your God. He's the God that wrote this. He's the God that created you. You all look a little bit like him. It says that in Genesis. I think he looks better than all of us probably. But we're made in his image. Recognizing that the provision of the Lord is, is, includes his vengeance. And the act of punishing someone for a crime is not in your hands. Punishing someone because they said something mean is not in your hands. Sure, you could talk to them about it, you could correct them, but then forgiveness happens. 
always, not, not vengeance. There is only one, only one who will avenge all wrongs. And even if you think you got vengeance, you haven't. He's the hero of the story. He is the one who ultimately gets that glory. And you and I are not him. In the end, the vengeance is the Lord's. We must be faithful to yield that authority to him and to him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are heavy words from you. Vengeance is a heavy thing. It's heavy because we know that ultimately it means that you are separating those who believe from those who do not and are enemies of yours. We pray, God, that for your continued patience for those even in this room who do not love you because we know that your vengeance will be upon those who are in that situation. We thank you, God, that your model is that you'll take care of us, that you are a good God, and that you'll avenge wrongs in your time and on our behalf because you give that to believers as a way of, to live in peace. Pray, God, that we would pursue that peace, that we would look for opportunities to completely forgive, and that we would trust in you. It is in your name we pray and thank you. Amen.